Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Samuel Bonder and Linda Groves Bonder as we continue to explore the nuts and bolts of spiritual awakening. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit, Life-Enhancing, Paradigm-Rattling Conversations with Cutting-Edge Thinkers, Contemplatives, and Activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. Well, you gave six steps for working with, let's call neuroses or chokeholds. But what I didn't hear was something which I know is part of your work and a very crucial part of, as far as I can see, psychological and spiritual transformation of a variety of kinds. And that is the paradoxical step of accepting or even welcoming those aspects of ourselves which are most difficult. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's something we we do want to point to specifically. This emerged for me in the very early months and year or two of my work, where I was, I had a particular thing, a, a half-day workshop I would take individuals through typically, sometimes small groups. And at some point uh, in that process, I would speak about self-acceptance and, you know, accepting the, the, these hard parts and challenging qualities, neuroses, broken zones, whatever you want to call them. And I would notice, particularly during this face-to-face with an individual, this is some time into the whole sequence of what we were going through together. And my assumption was that when they heard this, they would really be grateful and relieved. And instead, what would happen time after time, it's like their eyes would kind of glaze over and it's almost like the color would come out of their face. And, you know, and I, I, I didn't know what to do with it initially. Gradually, it dawned on me that self-acceptance meant to them at the moment resignation to just having it be the way it is. And so I kind of transformed the meaning of that word from the movie industry and the phrase green lighting. You know, when they green light a a film project, all kinds of transformations get underway. And so we began to speak then of green lighting as a form of acceptance that also understands changes are possible from having been governed by the chokehold of whatever it may have been. So that quality really comes into play. And I also want to, these six steps, you know, Linda came through that out of a dream reverie in the midst of a difficult relational situation. And when she kind of excitedly told me, here's this dream that happened, I kind of cracked up because it's so simple. I mean, there's only one word that has two syllables, transcend. Uh, you know, all the rest of see it, feel it, live it, be it. And I recognize that, you know, uh, Roger, to go back to 
the deep spirituality of this kind of practice. It, 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 to me, it, it brought to mind the Sanskrit term samyama or samyama, which means, you know, one-pointed contemplation of anything, object, person, whatever, to the degree of divining its nature, of feeling a oneness or a non-separation uh, with or from it. And that's what live it and be it said to me in Linda's articulation there, that it, it allows such a profound acceptance and even embrace, like you use that word welcoming. Mm. And so this is very definitely central to our work. And what happens more and more is that people come into that transition you pointed to, John, between this being kind of a subjectivity we're governed by and, and drowning in to, oh, yeah, there's that. You know, and in other words, it becomes to some degree objective to us. Mm. And then we learn, as one woman put it, she said, I feel like all the black sheep in my family have been welcomed back into the barn. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And it's such a paradox because this acceptance or welcoming of those disliked aspects of ourselves seem to be crucial for transformation. And yet our usual assumption is, is we have to resist, actively change them. And yet it's clear within the, within the mind, what we resist persists. And Absolutely. there are a couple of, in fact, there's some really important principles here. That is, first off, what we're unwilling to experience sticks around until you are willing to experience it. And second, what you're unwilling to experience runs your life. So this acceptance, welcoming, green lighting is crucially important. <laughs> so you mentioned your advice from God, John, and I there's a story, I forget who told it, a, a nice little story of God loves you just the way you are and loves you far too much to let you remain that way. <laughs> oh, I love it. oh, that's brilliant. I yes. love that. <laughs> uh, yes. yes. I, think, uh, I think it was a writer whose name I'm not pulling up at the moment. Oh. But it's it's beautiful that you're incorporating this. You know, one thing you you've both alluded to is that the awakening process can can loose a variety of or bring to awareness and consciousness a variety of of old patterns, challenges, neuroses, dysfunctional ways of being. In your book, Samuel, in the book Waking, Waking Down, you have this wonderful phrase of uh, the wake down, shakedown, <laughs> that a variety of challenges may actually, challenges may emerge even more strongly after an awakening experience. And actually, I'd like to step back a moment and just give a context for a discussion I hope we can have, because, because one of the things I really liked about your book is you point to some of the processes that occur after awakenings. And yeah. those, aren't, those aren't so common discussions. Yes. And you point out that we have a mythology around awakening that, you know, awakening happens. <laughs> it's all, all light and love <laughs> and ease. <laughs> well, <laughs> not so much. It's <laughs> not, not so much. <laughs> and, and you also point out the other side, that there is an ease, a, mm -hmm. a flow of being and delight that is just out of, way out of the ordinary. So there are both sides there. 
But your book and your work are unusual in laying out some of the steps that can occur after awakening. I want to I want to just provide a framework here because one of the important teachers for me was Daniel Brown, a, a Harvard psychologist and also a very sophisticated and talented uh, meditation teacher who was primarily grounded in Buddhism, multiple schools of Buddhism, but also yoga and, and bon. And he was the only person I've heard lay out the fact that actually what we've been given traditionally are three levels of spiritual maps. The most common is the map from you know the time you start on a spiritual path to an initial opening or awakening or realization of some kind. But then he said there's a second family of maps which point to the experiences and challenges and openings and requirements that can occur after that awakening as one stabilizes. So the second set of maps are moving from initial experience or an altered state to an altered trait. So stabilization, second set of maps. And then there's a very rare kind of family of maps, which map from stable realization through to what Dan Brown in his Buddhist tradition called Buddhahood. And interestingly, he said almost almost the entire part of that third map process is one of purification. So I, that was the first time I'd heard someone lay out not just a map of spiritual development, but a map of maps. And it just brought a lot of things into context. So in your book and your work, you are one of the, you know, one of the few people, both of you, who are really speaking to the steps and challenges and processes and requirements that arise after some degree of not only initial altered state, but uh, stabilization. So one of those you point, and and I'd love to go through some of these stages you point to. And the first one you raise is this wonderful phrase of (laughs) wake down, shake down. So perhaps we could start there. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. you, First of all, Roger, thank you for sharing that. I've been aware of Daniel Brown for many years, but have not studied his work. And uh, I have a lot of, I feel like I have a lot of study ahead of me for some of the writings that we're planning to bring out. And I, I've just taken a note on that. And I'm, I will not forget, because I'm very grateful for your summary of his map of maps, mm. which corresponds, interestingly enough, it corresponds quite closely to our sense of the progression here. So, uh, you know, I I will go into the specifics of Wake Down, Shake Down in just a minute, but just to flesh that out a bit, as we've been living this for many years and many other people had come into stability of realization, and there was clearly a process after that that took very fingerprint unique forms for each person, but had many shared characteristics in my own life, our own lives, and also others, we began then to notice a third stage, so to speak, was emerging. And it's interesting that the languaging that that you you know drew from him from from Brown's work of summarizing what was available. I was very moved, you know, so much of 
transcendental liberation spirituality is kind of, uh, it's biased toward the impersonal. And it tends to treat the personal dimension as secondary, irrelevant, to be absolutely transcendent, whatever. And to me, you know, this thing of the godness crystallizing, it crystallizes in and through the person. In fact, the word person means sound through. So the stages that we've come up with are first that of the, especially as it relates to this kind of work or life or transformational process. The first stage that's really relevant is what we could call the unawakened persona. It's a stage in their process where people start to feel very discontented with their life as it is. We have you know, a couple of phrases that have come through. It's as if your true self or your real nature is right around a corner, or you feel as if masked to yourself, which is one of the meanings of persona. And so there's this sense of something in my book, Great Relief, something is wrong, missing, or unclear at the core of life, most if not all the time. And that actually avails people of an awakening process that takes them into eventual stability, an unshakable uh, quality of this is just given. And so there's no need to seek it anymore because it's here. But then here comes stage two, awakened personhood. And we like to say a primary aspect of which is that the in this stage, all of our previous parts and qualities, positive and negative, the stuff we like about ourselves, the stuff we don't, all the issues and so forth, is in effect revealed and, and gradually made congruent with this deeper reality that has been realized. So that we're no longer so much at war anyway with ourselves, though we continue to find pieces that come up that are very difficult. The third stage, a friend suggested a title for it that eventually didn't work for us, but it, it kind of like Buddhahood is personification of the awakening cosmos, more trending these days toward participatory personification. You know, all our language is up for grabs all the time, but it, it is, it's analogous to perhaps Buddhahood. And sure enough, I was wondering as I began to sense this coming on and then living it more and more. This is over the last, you know, 10 to 14 years or so. I was wondering, well, is this going to lead to a kind of perfect purity, an utter transcendence, or so become so radiant that everything else is just outshined most of the time? And so it's interesting to me that Brown's summary word for that stage is purification, because both in small ways and large, that's what we see happening. And there is more and more of a will in that stage to engage in whatever practices, observances, whatever, will help clarify it and help, help that it's kind of like you don't want to waste the precious time of living in, in even being governed a little bit by qualities that 
you, you can cooperate with God not wanting to leave you that way. So anyway, I just I wanted to bring that in in terms of stages and maps. Yeah, and hopefully those things would begin to lose their their draw, lose their power to distract. Like, yeah, it's there, it's there, it's there. But yeah, thanks, no thanks. This is much more important. This is much better. Right. And we've, we've seen that, sure enough, the deepening post-awakening then opens us up to greater challenges. You know, we don't get Wait to down, coast here. Down. And it starts with, you know, mm-hmm. right, at, typically in the first few years after awakening is stabilized, wake down, shake down, which kind of like the rot, <laughs> the first stage of disintegration that leads to the, the possibility of the awakening becoming actual. Wake down, shake down is, I wanted to come up with a colorful way of speaking of how it feels. People. You did a good job. Thank you. That's a great concept. You know, it can feel like, you know, wait a minute, where, what realization? You know, this is a ripoff. I'm just same old fucked up schmo I was before. <laughs> On that note, I have to interject a quick story. We were visiting beloved dear friend Ken Wilbur years ago, and we were having a wonderful dialogue about our work and other things and interweaving yeah. some concepts and perceptions. And we were talking about wake down, shake down, and Ken goes, yeah, wake you up, shake you down, and fuck you up real bad. Yeah. <laughs> right, another, uh, and we laughed hysterically. Yeah. I, I'm sorry for popping that word out there, but Samuel had popped right. that word John out there. John already did I've it. already popped it a few times, so don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> We're good with the F word. Sometimes it's very descriptive. So in that discussion, though, we went deeper in, you know, talking about the elements of what that is, you know, and and it was very enlivening and informative for the three of us. So I just wanted to bring in that little story. Yeah. And, and, you know, what, what happens there is, in effect, this is that greater heart nature, the, the godness, the totality identity coming alive and awake, and in effect, bringing all the parts forward that are there to be worked with, recognized, you know, more fully understood, more deeply accepted. And what happens then is a pretty actually, in some ways, chaotic, or using a term that I'm forgetting the guy who came up with, the guy who founded Visa came up with the word chaotic both chaotic, but also at a deeper level, having its own order. Mm-hmm. So everybody goes through whatever it is. And there's a lot for many people. Uh, there's a necessity to encounter and kind of burn through doubt that they even have awakened. And, you know, just all kinds of stuff can come up. And in, it's interesting over the years. I, I mean, one thing about our work, you know, this is, none of it was theoretical. I mean, it's really, the whole thing is so based on actually living it out with people, finding out what really happened as opposed to what I thought would probably happen or thought should or would happen. And we've seen people go through this in all kinds of ways. For some people, that post-awakening intensity of purification, frankly, is kind of like a walk in the park compared to what they've already been through in life. For other people, it can be almost harrowing. For some people, 
It has lots of outward stuff going haywire in their, their own life, their health, their career, their relationships. For other people, all of that stays pretty smooth and calm, but there's a kind of inner turmoil or discontent or, or, or just not, not having, again, the kind of congruence of what has awakened and not having the confidence yet. So the wake down shakedown brings people to confidence because what happens with each of these bouts of something coming up is that one way or another, you persist and endure through it and you discover, oh, I was confused there. That was mind. But this realization was intact the whole time. That's where an inquiry process really can come in. Very helpful. It, way because we use inquiry quite a bit prior to an awakening but after the awakening it can also serve you the other thing that can really serve an individual is the the need for some to reconnect on a different level with their teachers or their coaches or whatever the, the person might be and that is a really important aspect of the transition out of the wake down, shake down and the realization of I haven't lost anything. It brings a, a story to mind of an individual I worked with many years ago who had his awakening and was living it quite profoundly, but he hit up against some revisitation of some of these broken off zones and broken places in his psyche. And we had a wonderful conversation. It was an in-person conversation where he was telling me what was going on and he was so down and he said, I feel like I've lost my realization. And I said, well, let's explore that. So we, I walked him through a, a whole guided kind of thing where I asked him a whole series of questions and he would sit back and he'd contemplate and he'd feel into it and he'd say, yeah, no, that's still there. It's subtle, but it's still there. Okay, so the subtlety, where is the subtlety? So he realized after that process, I didn't lose anything. And it was like another whole revelation for him. He said, it was always there, but I was just so swept in this wake down piece. So I just wanted to share that as an example of how that can happen. And, and referring back to Christopher Bache again, we had a conversation with him. Guys should listen to it. It's great. And he was going through all these this transpersonal journey in profound levels. And death and rebirth was a constant issue. And he said after a while, it's like, oh, it's just death. And uh, what it was was another level of purification. And at some point, the dread and, oh, my God, purified again, it just becomes, you kind of, all right, well, cool. You know, this journey doesn't seem to end, and it's going to be another purification. It's going to be another, just more real, real, whatever that is, you know. So it becomes something that's not avoided and not mourned and not, yeah. I mean, uh, terrified, but 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 one actually embraces it in, in yeah. kind of a sporting and a positive attitude, I guess. Yeah, yeah and thank you. Thank you. And, you know, in, in our, our process, that that theme of live it and be it that deep acceptance becomes pretty much second nature. It's just the way you roll. Okay, here, here's, here, this is up now. Okay, th this is... I'm being it. You know, instead of neti, neti, <laughs> not this, it's this too, this too. Yeah, this, 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 and this, yeah. 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 
So yeah, I really appreciate you asking about this. And and it is, you know, Linda mentioned that people often find themselves going back to resuming practices that they used to do or working with teachers, coaches, helpers. Again, two of our, we we actually have a co-coach, a couple, both of whom awakened in our process stably back in the, the 2000s and began to approach us for coaching help because they both felt, and the, the language, the traditional language that was meaningful for them was they felt themselves moving toward and into the phrase Christ consciousness. And they felt they needed you know, guidance and, and input on that. You know, so to us, it was an indication that they were moving out of the earlier purification of that shakedown time, that the the realized life had become natural for them, but there was a whole next phase opening up. And so we've actually been working with them now for a year and a half, I guess, and probably will resume on some level uh, sometime soon. We took a break this summer. So, yeah, and, you know, my sense is that in, a, in the bigger picture, when I started my work, you know, the whole idea was let's democratize this awakening stuff so that at the very least, more and more, there will be information available such that people know there are choices rather than going into something that tells them that you have to give up everything to the great leader in order to X, Y, or Z have this or that happen. And and for that many more people, Roger, goes back to the ethics here. You know, a big emphasis for us is contribution. Yeah. You know, both by, not only by what you do, certainly that, but also by being. But knowing that your being is here to be of service to the greater good. Yes. And that course is, is kind of, you know, deep ethics at play and requires us to be as free of what has been unconsciously governing us as possible. And get you away from the whirlpool that can be narcissism. You know, it's like, what is all this stuff for? Yeah. The big teaching for me back in the days I was in Bay Area, KPFA, I'm sure you know that channel. And I was listening to the Tibetan monks do the overtone chanting which I can actually do, but I'll spare you. After it finished, the Dalai Lama was there and they were interviewing him. They said, well, what, what is the, the purpose of all this, you know, amazing stuff? And he said, to help us to be kinder to one another. And I was just like, I liked it. He had me at that point. I knew you were going <laughs> to say that. Yeah. And, the, you know, thank the joke you, is, thank you. The joke is that sounds to some of our spiritually informed minds so simplistic. Oh, no, what it takes to really be kind. Mm, Thank you. I mean, every level of it is great. Every little touch. We like to talk about being kind to the checkout person. Absolutely. I do. Every time I I engage conversation. (laughs) But, but, you know, that to to be able to be as kind as possible entails all these kinds of growth and deeper self-responsibility and everything else we've been talking about. And, and I think getting back to our original thing, you know, as cult leader opposed to, you know, legitimate leader is that the true leader will point you to yourself, point you back home, point you back home. And the cult leader becomes a black hole. 
that just wants to absorb everything into it. And, you know, eventually it swirls and goes down the cosmic toilet, wherever that is. But yeah, yeah, very, very, very important points there. Service and waking up is just the beginning, right? And Jesus said that too, except the man or allegedly said it in the gospel of John, a man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But when you're born, you're really ready to go out and conquer the world. No, you're a helpless little infant. You know, you just started this new thing and it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to wake up or I don't know if it's work or grace, but anyway, it takes a lot of work for grace finally to happen. And then, and then the point is, is staying awake. How does one do that? And, and then, and how does one channel that into contribution? Yeah. And this is actually, of course, your phrasing may have changed. As you said, it's constantly in process, but but in your original book, Waking Down, Samuel, you speak of a couple of stages after the wake down, shakedown, the first being an adept yoga, which is begins to move in this direction. Perhaps you could speak to that, whatever you call it, both call it now. Well, really, that, that, that is what we've been speaking to in terms of the, these post-awakening stages. We don't use that word adept anymore, sure enough, you're right, simply because to so many people, it's, it's off-putting or they don't know what you mean. And we really want to keep it simpler. And more and more, we've in fact been moving toward the language of people becoming activators themselves or heart activators, in which they learn how to manage their end of a transmission process, because it can be quite challenging. And it's also important to be aware of the pitfalls that can tend to veer over into, oh, you are the great one. And oh, yeah, I really am the great one. Oh, it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> and so it's, it, it's all of the qualities of one's journey post-awakening that take you into greater and greater proficiency at, among other things, doing just exactly what you just said, John being able to keep pointing people back to themselves mm -hmm. to another skill we, we ask people to learn is evocation, you know, to speak to their present divinity or their, their present sameness with all that is, even if it's not yet self-aware and mm -hmm. deeply recognized in themselves. And that then involves a lot of reframing for yourself, your own relationship to the parts that seem to be cut off and contrary to this, you know, greater singularity or wholeness is probably a better word. So there are many aspects to it. And as we were saying earlier, while we have, again, these precepts we have kind of distilled in both waking down and mutuality, but especially the white hot yoga of the heart, which was also the title of my first teaching book, uh, we go into what, what it takes for people, what needs to be focused on, what needs to be learned. As an example, going back to something that you brought up, the necessity of fostering individuation, but in a manner that keeps it, you know, in a kind of a tantric dance or balance of both and with leaning into communion. Yeah, connected, connected at the same time. Connected at the same time. And, and our third principle in that 
particular triad, individuation, communion. The third one, it actually came from a Tibetan text I was reading a translation of, is appreciation. You know, that in, in, or, in order for both your participation in individuation and your connectedness and communion to continually be fresher and fuller and more whole and inclusive, practicing what it takes to appreciate oneself and others and reality as it is and can become. Living um, in gratitude. Uh, living in gratitude is yes. another practice. We haven't mentioned it yet today. Yeah. We, we welcome people to do that. Mm-hmm. Again, though, not in a way where they feel like I have to be in gratitude every single moment and I can't feel ungrateful. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's a deep practice in itself, that gratitude. Probably we know it best these days with through the work of Brother David Stendelrust, but it's interesting to in the Sufi tradition they have a they have a seven stage spiritual map. And I, I if I recall correctly, the the fifth and sixth are both elements of gratitude. Mm. Gratitude to the point of to <laughs> to a stage which is very hard to imagine, but gratitude for whatever happens as an expression of the divine. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Thank you for that. Indeed. Yeah. So just bring to maybe to completion or at least making sure we've covered the steps you see people going through in these post post awakening processes. We've talked about the wake down, shake down, this emergence of or re-emergence in some cases of challenging aspects of ourselves. We've talked about what you formerly talked about as adept yoga, that coming to a refining of one's capacity to to be of service. And I guess in the Buddhist tradition, the analogy would be the distinction between the prajna, the inside, the profound wisdom that sees the ways things are, and upaya, the skillful wisdom that sees how to most effectively contribute to and help and heal and awaken others. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about that. But then uh, again, you've probably changed the terms. You talked about a, f- a subsequent phase where people essentially recognize their unique calling, become their unique self, and not just serve, but find a unique uh, expression of their awakening yes. in service. So anything you'd like to say about that? Yeah, thank you. Thank yes. you for bringing that up. And uh, do you want to Yeah, I'll jump that? in real quick on that one, because we are such holders in the heart of each individual finding their unique expression and and form of service. And sometimes people say, well, I feel like I'm a little bit more pulled back, you know, not from life or experience, but I don't feel like an activist or I don't feel like I can get out there and really make some kind of you know, cultural change in my presence out in the world. And we say, that's okay. If that is where your being is taking you and where what sings to your heart is leading you, find your your form of service in your unique way. What that does for some individuals, it allows them to just take a breath and say, oh, so I'm not doing it wrong. Oh, so it means that I don't have to force myself to be something that I'm actually not. And then we can have more of of a discussion or do active conscious dreaming to discover some of the threads that might really continue to sing to their heart. Then there are others who are very passionate about 
getting their presence and their message and their desires for change in the world mm -hmm. out there. And we support that as well. And passionately so, because this is where our hearts are in many different forms, where it's simply serving by being, you know, relaxing, meditating, sending out the gratitude and blessings from a compassionate and empathetic heart, or simply, as with me many times, throwing seed out in the backyard to all the hundreds of birds that we have on this property. It's amazing. And watching the birds flock in. And when I fling the seed, my part, it's, it's like a meditation and, and an invocation for peace in the world, for all to be healthy, all to be loved. You know, I have many different ways that I do that. I feel that that's a form of service in a very organic way. And so, yeah, it's so wonderful to discover and to hear from individuals what that is for them and how it's manifesting. And Linda, you you just described one of your you know, one of the, your practices a very simple down to earth, <laughs> uh, you know, little ritual which you have effectively sanctified a mundane act, which is a beautiful aspect of spiritual life, the taking of everyday life and sanctifying and ritualizing it in various ways. Yes. We'd love to hear your perspective as a woman. Do you feel you, you bring to this work and your understanding of spiritual life and practice a unique perspective or perspectives? And do you see facets that maybe uh, graced by your, by your feminine perspective? Mm, thank you for that question. That us guy knuckleheads might miss. Including <laughs> 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 this one. <laughs> Putting it in concrete terms. Thank you, John. <laughs> I, I just, I'm very touched by your question. I've never actually had that asked of me in that form before. So okay. I appreciate it. I would say that part of the, just the heart expression that I, I live and I, hold and support for others to realize and drop deeply into. It's kind of like a, a mothering energetic, perhaps. I've been called many, many times by many people, Linda Ma, and others saying to me that I am the mother of the work. And so I'm not a biological mother, but I like to kind of joke and say, yes, but I have many, many family members. <laughs> and so I, I feel that there is an empathetic aspect about my being that comes through perhaps for some, and it can help, I hope, help an individual land more confidently and comfortably in themselves. It, it's, it's kind of a, a welcoming it's a whole being welcoming when I work with an individual or a group. And, and, and you two today, I feel so blessed to be able to be with the two of you today and to have these conversations. I mean, my heart just feels so full right now. And I've, with a lot of appreciation and, and gratitude and respect for the two of you and what you're doing with Deep Transformations. 
So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> well, I should. Felt, I felt it very much, Linda. So maybe that was the answer. Um, okay, thank you. <laughs> and question that uh, project manager Heidi loves us to ask, and John usually remembers, but it popped to my mind this time. So you've both uh, experienced and learned and taught an awful lot of practices in your time. What do you practice now for yourselves at this stage yeah thank you well why don't you why don't you continue babe because you know you 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 started in on I, how I was, you live i i was yeah i'm good with that okay but yeah i mean i can actually expand on that a bit you know one of the practices that i mentioned was literally as simple as it seems is feeding the birds and growing the seed and having the blessing thought to all creation and all beings for wellness and peace in the world and groundedness and each individual finding their own unique way to their wholeness. And whether that's an awakening aspect or just being a better human being and being aware and bringing their gifts to the world. That is one of the things that every time I do that, I have various things that come to mind for myself to invoke. I also do that in the morning, not every single morning, but when I'm waking up, I usually will lay on my back with my hands like this, and I say my gratitude prayers, and I bless my family and my friends and have a similar invocation for the world and for our work, you know, our expression and, and our offerings to be held and seen and embraced so that we can help a lot of people because that's a passion of mine and of Samuel's. And then in the evening, we have Samuel and I every night. It's so precious. Before I sleep, Sometimes he stays up and does some computer work, but then sometimes we go to bed together. But we do a blessing, blessings to all beings and all creation, not a single being left behind. And that is a phrase that we do every night. And then we expand on that. And we have blessings to individuals who are having difficult physical ailments or you know, emotional things that are going on, and we expand it out from there. So that's something we do every night. Beautiful. Mm. And then, of course, meditation and contemplation at various times. But it's very organic. We don't have a set like it has to happen like this. Mm. What would you add, Samuel? Well, yeah, mine is uh, somewhat different. I'm really glad you spoke of that. And it's a lot of birds, also a lot of plants, oh, yeah. two cats and a husband, thankfully. <laughs> and, you know, for Linda, Linda Ma, you know, one of my practices is simply appreciating her. Mm-hmm. You know, just the little, little things that are not so little. Uh, just a quick story. So we had this, a big mound of dirt in the backyard, won't go into the details, needed to be moved. And I was moving it out to over near the fence there. And, you know, I was just wheelbarrowed out there, shovel it out and, you know, let it sit there. And, you know, it's not going to disturb anyone out there. And Linda says to me, 
Yeah, but, you know, we get so little rain here. Every drop of moisture that the trees that are right there at the fence line, every drop of moisture that they need is going to get soaked up by this dirt. You know, you need to spread it out, please. And, you know, it was just such a teaching moment for me. So, and I know this is true for her as well. We're both such teachers and, and examples to each other. And so that appreciation is very important. I have a variety of practices that have emerged for me personally over the years. I'm really glad Heidi wants you guys to ask this. and it's a great thing to ask. I've wound up coming up with a kind of ceremony or ritual. I've, we have a lot of, call it kind of something like altar areas in our house. I've got two in my office, one in a corner and another right at the corner where my desk is. And they're images, statues, and photographs, and books, you know, of people and communications that have meant and do mean a lot to me over the years. So I, I developed this ceremony of invocation. There are some chants I came up with that I'll, I'll sing either inside or, or outwardly. I do that every now and again. I, as it happens, by the way, I've never been great at all the same disciplines every day without fail, particularly since, you know, I got past the point of feeling like I needed to do disciplines to awaken. You know, I'm fine with me being the way I am. So I do that every now and again nowadays. There have been times where I'll, I'll do it, you know, daily or quite frequently. Uh, and then just other things, again, going to, like with Linda, the, the ordinary activities and having them become full of sacred meaning, even very ordinary activities. I mean, you know, to me, I feel called to take in a, a daily dose of the news, which these days, you know, that's a workout a lot of the time. and. When I'm, you know, watching TV and listening to commentators and so forth and seeing who's doing what, I'm not trying to think that I'm blessing everybody, but I feel like it's my contribution. And there, there is an innate confidence in me that we do all share the same great heart nature or ultimate identity right now, presently. That, that, you know, paradoxically for all the spaces and distances between us physically and also mentally, emotionally, philosophically, uh, everyone, in fact, it's one of the phrases in one of my, my chants, everyone all right here. In other words, everyone is present in this moment of the here and now to and for and with everyone else. And in that space where there is no distance, just by giving people attention, even if I'm kind of pissed off at how they're showing up in life, I'm also blessing them. And, you know, I, I do my, my work. A lot of my work is at the computer. I'm kind of the primary generator of teachings and mailings, you know, you name it. And yeah. 
I have to be cautious because I can get so absorbed in the work that I practically forget everything. I mean, thank God there are cell phones with timers on them. <laughs> so, oh, right. Two hours ago, I did remember that I have a session coming up. I have completely forgotten. Thank you, Dinger. You know, and, and then the, the process of communicating with everyone for me is a puja, a sacred ritual without the necessity of ritualism or kind of pious outward acts. Those are great sometimes too. You experience God in that when you're communicating, when you're doing your, your stuff. Exactly. And, you know, and I have little invocations that I come up with from time to time. And this goes, Roger, again, to the ripening over time of all this. For me, there's a simplification that's been occurring of just finding ways, not, not just to remind, but to hold, hold beingly remember and reinforce, strengthen the sense of that the deep peace and love and wholeness of, of the great unity, uh, the pressurelessness, which is one of the meanings of samadhi, equalization of pressures, the pressurelessness and fullness in the midst of all the pressures and everything that's going on. So, uh, you know, like, I mean, this is a phrase, by the way, that again goes back to those stages of practicing one's identification as that great mystery. So a framing that came up recently, and I'll just repeat it to myself inwardly, occasionally out loud. I am the heart that is all this. I am the heart. I am all this. And there's something about that that for me is just kind of instantly in a simple way. It's not a big deal. But in a simple way, it's a recollection and a releasing and a being with and as all at once. So those are some of the things that are important for me. Taking care of these bodies, important as well. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Eating well and so forth. Yeah. So again, if I were to distill, it's both of you have sanctified life, your lives, both individually and together and in your work with people. So. Yeah, that's very clear in this dialogue, and I want to thank you both on behalf of us all in this in this Deep Transformation podcast for the work you're doing and for being with us and for the contribution you're making and have made for uh, quite a few years now. So thank you very much indeed, and thanks so much for having this dialogue. If I could add just one extra thing here, Roger, I'll keep it very brief. Uh, part of what's uh, become a prominent practice for both of us is generating the next phase of our work. And we've articulated a 10-year vision um, that has a lot to do with both outreach and also helping more people become heart activators of this kind. Mm -hmm. So the, the motto of it is, uh, over this coming 10 years, a million hearts illumined. That is to say, just simply lightened and brightened, having the pain of living eased, even to a little degree by whatever contact they may have with us, with others who we've helped, and so forth. A thousand hearts awakened as that ultimate reality of being. 
and a hundred hearts in service as their own quality of self-realized heart activators doing their work, however they're moved to do it, however they can and will show up when allowed to fulfill their own destiny. So may it be so i'm sure we can all get behind that one may, may it be so may your work bear that fruit bear that fruit may you touch those million hearts inspire illumine them and again thank you for being with us and uh, thank you for listening those of you who are and if you've enjoyed this uh, this session then please uh, tell your friends perhaps write a review and uh, listen to listen to more we just had been so privileged to have so many wonderful guests on the deep transformation podcast thank you everyone thank you both so much for what you're doing thank, thank you for having us yes, on your program thank you so very much it means so much to us particularly with all of our integral lineage here uh, it's you. really important for us. And we also want to welcome anyone listening or viewing. Uh, please get in touch with us. There will be information available. We'd love to hear from you. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Blessings. Today's episode was brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.